Welcome to the Totally Dissolved Podcast. I'm Bronwyn Serna. And I'm Kathy Hilbert. We're two coffee pros who want to make learning about coffee fun and accessible for other coffee pros. You'll hear fun and informative interviews, as well as actionable tips and strategies that you can implement in your coffee life. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's jump into this week's dose of an education in caffeination. Hey, Kathy. Hi, Bronwyn. How's it going? I'm good. Just uh, spent a little time in Palm Springs this week doing some training. So it was fun. Makes the week go by fast. But uh, it was very hot. I love Palm Springs. I haven't really ever gone to just hang. Oh, you must. Oh, maybe I have one time. But you must. Yeah. It's a great time. Yeah. Yeah. Poolside. I love a pool time. Exactly. How are you? We are good. Unfortunately, I have been, well, fortunately, I have been staying with lovely coffee friends in LA, which is amazing. I love you all. You know who you are. But uh, my love ended up catching COVID and we, I narrowly missed getting that. So (laughs) I'm happy that I didn't get it, but I'm very sad that he has it. So I haven't seen hide nor hair of him for almost 10 days. Oh, well, I'm glad you missed it. Yes. But sad to have to leave him at home. and Exactly. Yeah. Thankfully, I did grocery shopping before I left. So yeah, that was, it means you don't yeah. have any groceries. Yeah, I don't have any groceries, <laughs> but whatever. It's fine. I've been treating myself. Good, good. That's awesome. <laughs> With delicious foods. Um, but yeah. But other than that, it's been a pretty fun work week, too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So. Yeah. Um, what's in your cup? In my cup today, I was feeling a little, I needed something a little sweet. And I ended up grabbing the Stumptown cold brew coffee with oat milk and chocolate. So it is very, very delicious. Because last time we had the one with real dairy. And I'm very enjoying the one with oat milk because it's not as sweet but still chocolatey and still delicious very nice what are you what's in your cup well um maybe listener you can tell it was a little bit of a lazy coffee day slash busy coffee day um or busy day for making not having time to make coffee um i have a Stumptown. uh what is this called strange magic it is our cascara soda so it's not just cascara tea. It's like fizzy and it has citric acid in it. And um, I feel like there's one other. It sounds ingredient. refreshing. Sugar. Yeah. So it's a little bit lighter uh, than I think cascara tea usually is because it usually, to me, has a kind of a heavier mouthfeel and is like very fruity. Um, but yeah, it's it's really nice and pleasant and refreshing. So not coffee, but coffee adjacent. Yes. Coffee mama. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm excited for our third part of this career series. We will be yes. speaking with Trish Rothkin, yeah. owner of Wrecking Ball in San Francisco. So stay tuned. Hey, Trish. Hi, Trish. Welcome. Hi. Hi there. Thanks for being with us today. Of course. My pleasure. Yeah. So for though, for you listeners, this is our cafe, this is our um, career series, part three, and we are talking with Trish Rothgabe, who is the owner of Wrecking Ball Coffee Roasters in yeah. San Francisco. Hi. Welcome. Hi. Hi. So, Trish, we ask um, each of our guests, what is in your cup today? Or what did you have in your cup if you're not drinking anything right now? We are in the late afternoon, uh, early evening hours doing this recording. So I can say today, this morning I had a cup of, uh, I made a little pour over for myself, a little uh, Guatemala, Huehuetenango, 
from a farm called Los Socios. And then I went to work and had a cappuccino made by my favorite barista, Jose Ortez Jr. And then later in the day, um, because then Jose said to me, is there something else you need me to follow up on right now? And it was the afternoon. I'm like, yeah, I need you to make something else. <laughs> he made me a, um, an iced, an iced cortado thing that I drink. Sometimes I have like an, I split a shot and put it on ice. So it's like a single, it's like a little microdose of caffeine in the afternoon and then drop a little almond milk. I know almond milk is not the thing, right? People always, and even Jose will give me like a little wrinkled nose, like when I ask for almond milk, cause it's so like not the thing people drink, but I like almond milk. It depends on the coffee. Yeah. I think it works well with some coffees better than others oh. and it works well with yeah. blends. So, you know. The best coffee is the coffee you like, whether that's right. with almond milk or dairy, whatever. Yeah. Right. Anyway, yeah, that's what I had today. And I usually drink about uh, at least one cup a day. And I've, I've been really running crazy busy these past, this past week. And so all the, my production cups have not been cupped. So I literally have to cup all the, so at Wrecking Ball, we do 100% production cupping. So everybody cups every batch. And uh, um they've just been stacking up because I haven't gotten to the table. And so I have to do like all of it tomorrow, which is fine. It's fine. Not Tomorrow's the worst thing that ever happened. It's going to be but... a very caffeinated day though. It sounds like. Yeah. yeah. See, I love cupping. So that sounds like a great Friday. Yeah. Right. Not, you know, our production cups are very, it, it's very no nouns. It's like a, it's like one or two sips from each cup. I mean, it's, a lot of work for like two sips out of every cup it's just a yes or no answer it's not like a big deal so it's not going to be that much caffeine i just have to run through it but anyway that's what i signed on for in this biz this <laughs> do that love do it. Like mm. so for those inquiring minds and for those that have not been introduced to the fabulousness that is you um can you give us a small intro about who you are, what you do, a little coffee history. Yeah. Let's see. So I've been in the business for um, a little more than 30 years. Well, not a little more, a more, quite a bit more. So I started when I was 18 years old. I'm 55 years old now. I just turned 55. Old school. My whole adult life glorious. I've been in coffee. And... Um, so that's what 30 years, I don't know, how many years is that? And I, uh, you know, I was already in coffee for like 10 years before I realized like that was going to be my career because I was doing, I went to school for art and um, I was a painter and I was like making paintings and selling them. And I was on my way to being like an artist for a living and I wasn't sucking at it necessarily, but coffee kept on like creeping into my world because, you know, start as a barista and then like immediately I learned how to roast after uh, a very short while. So I learned how to roast in like 1990. And then I was like, I just, this is just like a super fun thing to do as your side job, as you're trying to make it in the career you want. And then it wasn't until like 10 years in that I realized like, I am not shaking this coffee thing very easily. And the art thing is becoming less and less interesting to me. Coffee's becoming more and more interesting and art is like actually less interesting. And um, so I kind of just turned myself over to it. And ever since then, I've been like roasting from medium to small level uh, specialty coffee roasters. I sort of walked the earth to find the coffee jobs I wanted. At one point I went to Norway. Um, wow. Yeah, about 10 years into my coffee career, I went to Norway and roasted in Norway for like four years in Oslo. And then I came back, I got like headhunted back into California, which is where I'm from. And then from there I went to Seattle, which is where I met Bronwyn, which is- No, I met you originally in Norway. 
in Norway yes. when you came yeah. with um, Dismiss to yes. the thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I met Dismiss like two years before that, I think. When I came to, I met Dismiss in 2000, Dismiss and Chris, who at the time were at Zilka with Bronwyn. And I met them in the year 2000. <laughs> and then I met Bronwyn when she came to Oslo, I guess. I know it's all a blur. Bronwyn. I know it's so long ago. And then, yeah. And so then I came back to, yeah, I went to Seattle and then I came back to California from, well, first I went to, yeah, then I went somewhere else. I was in Vermont and I was in Virginia and then I came back to California. I tried to move back to California like three times. I finally made it stay because this is my, I'm from the Bay Area. I'm very much a NorCal girl and uh, born and bred and, uh, you know, one of those people who's like, yeah, do you want to talk shit about San Francisco? Well, you better be from San Francisco if you're going to talk shit about San Francisco. That's me. <laughs> And so now I live in San Francisco. I started this coffee company with Nick Cho, who was my uh, partner for a long time. And now um, still sort of my partner, but he's like moved on to other things. And I'm trying to get used to running this whole shebang myself. I've done lots of other stuff besides that. I don't even know where to start. I teach <laughs> Q. I used to run the Q program for CQI for like three years. That's very a teacher. True. I'm a trainer of other teachers. Um, I... Uh, did a lot of stuff for especially coffee association where I was like the roasters guild for, for four years, I was on the roasters guild. I wrote the rules for the roasting competition. That's in the world coffee events. Now I wrote the competition. I was the author of that competition, which is why I've never been in the competition, but that happened in like 2012. I wrote that thing. Um, People credit me for coining the phrase third wave coffee, which happened around 2003 when that happened. Yeah, those are a lot of, there's a lot of shit like that. That's all the shits. What else? Did I miss anything? <laughs> no, I think that was pretty comprehensive. Coffee. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah. The roast coffee all the time and I like to do it. It's awesome. Um, I, I know your name. I know, you know, your connection with, um, your company now, but I did not know a lot of that stuff. So it was really cool to hear. And I feel like I'm in front of coffee royalty now. She is coffee <laughs> royalty. My, I am, I am going to knight you both. You've <laughs> paved the way for so many things. Yes. Very cool. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm still waiting on the new phrase that she's going to coin in her. Oh, is there another one that's supposed to come? I Everyone don't know. Asks Hopefully. Every- <laughs> People want to ask me, like, Trish, what's fourth wave? I'm like, hey, you tell me what fourth wave is. I don't know everything. I, I think like, we're already in the fifth wave, apparently, according to some people. <laughs> Although somebody told me recently that, you know, the concept of waves is not, you know, I took the idea from um, feminism. There's three waves of feminism. And then, uh, and I'm not necessarily a big student of that kind of thing, but you know, I read about that. I'm a woman, I read about that stuff and I have over the years and somebody was, and the the concept of three waves is kind of everywhere. And somebody recently told me, I think it was Adam Klein told me, three waves is, that's how many there are. Everything is three waves. Like there's not fourth wave feminism. There's not such a thing as that. And it's also a concept for like um, business and like economics and things like that. It always, waves only really come in threes. And then after that, you got to start some other thing. I'm not sure what, but anyway. Maybe go back to like, um, then it's another first wave. Who knows? Right. (laughs) I mean, it's just like one of those, uh, yeah, like I think Ronwin knows and no one ever I never assumed this was going to be a thing anyone paid attention to, but I wrote a little article and then people started reading it like three or four years after I wrote it. And then it started to like, it started to stick. Yeah. And that was like three years after I wrote it. And I was like, wait, you guys, people are reading that. Like every, someone found it and then it became a thing, but it took a while anyway, interesting. And it became much more interesting than I thought it would be for people who are, not in our industry because i wrote that article just for our industry right and then a, a mainstream sort of grabbed onto it it was interesting yeah 
Anyway, I'm a little, you can say I'm a little bit amped because I did have a microdose of caffeine. So I'm just like rattling on and on. I anyway. love it. That's okay. I love it too. I am learning so much. Um, so our first official question for you, um, I know that you said that you, you know, it took you about 10 years before you realized that coffee was like it for you. Do you remember like what that thing was that like really hooked you in and made you kind of realize that you're interested in coffee and it's for you? Um, I think, you know, I don't know if it was one particular moment as much as maybe a span of six months or so. Mm -hmm. And I was in Oslo working for a little roastery that was then called Mocha. And um, it was like a, this tiny shop roaster inside, like we used to always do at the time, be like cafe, espresso bar with like a little roaster in there, like a 12 kilo roaster. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, in, no in Norway, you can do this thing where I had, at that time I was married to a Norwegian guy. So <laughs> I had just moved there to be with, you know, start my life in Norway with him. And as, as a resident of Norway, you could just apply to be an artist. And then the government just like freaking gives you money to be an artist, even if you're not really good at it, it's hilarious. And so um, I was like working on sort of like, how am I going to arrange myself so I can start getting money for this, for being an artist. And I realized like, oh shoot, I have to make art when all I really want to do is just like go back to the roastery and like dork around with blends and like full shots and like so it was just like that kind of thing and then uh just the feeling of when i thought about how i wanted to uh oh i have to do some art it just felt like a chore and coffee didn't feel like a chore so that was and and then there was like the thing about being in a cafe with the roaster in the cafe when it's a small tiny little operation like that that's funny is that you see the green coffee go into the roaster, you make it brown, it comes out, it goes into like a little bin, the barista picks it up, grinds it, puts it through, and then it goes into a cup, and then you see a person drink it. Yeah. Like the whole thing happens, and then you're watching it. And for me, that was like the best kind of art experience I could have. If, if I'm a maker, and I'm an artist or a creator, I'm a craftsperson, there's nothing better than that. I mean, I could make a painting and the painting gets bought by someone. I never see it again. I'm like, I hope they still like it. I have a like, picture of it, but you know, it kind of lives outside of you after that, where this, I could like see the coffee go straight into a person's body and then have them feel satisfied. You can see it on their face. And I'm like, dang, like, how would I want anything beyond this? This is the greatest art experience I could have. Yeah, that's very cool. So it's sort of like a, a falling in love over a series of months and years and until you realized that that moment of watching people consume your creation was it for you. That's awesome. Yeah, it's truly yeah, it art, art becoming mm -hmm. life. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, since you have had so many different and impactful jobs over the years, what made it to where you wanted to open your own or like start your own roastery and cafe retail space? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I've thought about this recently quite a lot, right? Because I'm much more now at the helm of everything, including like tracking down the money that, the, that someone said they paid a bill. And so now I have to look for that, see if the check ever got, you know, uh, <laughs> deposited or whatever and um are you still there I, my phone is like connected um all of that businessy stuff and i'm only in business because i want to make coffee and i want to make my coffee and i can't it's like very few and far between it's very unlikely that i would work for anyone else and they would let me make my coffee right the way i want to mm -hmm. make it and you know they probably give me some creative license to do what I wanted and they have in the past and I've been successful other places but otherwise it's like you know if I'm going to work that hard then 
you know, it's, you know, and you know, it's just like all the decisions I'm sort of, yeah, I'm sort of in business because I want to make it coffee. And so, yeah. Does that make sense? That's a long answer, huh? Yes. No, it totally makes sense. You want to, you want to reap what you put out there and you want to make the best version of it. Yeah. Yeah. I want it to be mine. Yeah. So obviously you do a lot of things as a cafe owner. I feel like, especially of a smaller company, you don't have a bunch of cafes. I feel like the bigger the company gets, maybe the owner gets to sit back a little bit more and hire people. But when you're the owner of a small business, you've got everything on your plate. Like you said, tracking down those payments and filling in roasting when you have people who are taking some extra days off. Um, what is your favorite thing? Like, what do you love most about what you do? And that doesn't, again, doesn't have to be like one specific task, but kind of, you know, wading through all the craziness of being a business owner, what makes it worth it for you? Well, one of the other things that I've done, like I've been an artist, like I said, and a a maker, but also I've been really fortunate to be able to teach as much as I've been able to do. Like after a certain number of years there was a tipping point where i'm like okay well at least i know these things and now i can teach them and feel good about teaching them and so that so that still happens every day even if i'm not teaching q every single day or teaching cupping to a class that paid money to show up and be in the class it's like i have an apprentice roaster i have a lead roaster i have um somebody who works admin for me who's fairly new and then i have i mentioned my friend jose who's like my oldest employee i mean the lead that's been with wrecking ball the longest of anyone and uh he's starting to do new things like he's working on customer support and wholesale development and all this new stuff for him and so i feel like every day i'm just in like a constant teaching mode which really suits me most of the time. It can be exhausting because it's very, um, you know, teaching is a empathic sort of exercise. You have to, I mean, like Bronwyn's been in my classes before where like I'm giving a lecture and I'm not only giving the lecture, but I'm reading the faces of everyone who's listening to me like, are they getting what I'm saying? Do I have to say this a different way? You know, like it's very like reading the room constantly. Totally. And if you're saying something, is it landing or is it completely being missed? And so I'm by myself, especially like in this new era for Wrecking Ball, just like completely just doing that 100% of the time. Just 100% of, Trish, what about this? Okay, this is how we're going to work on this. You go work on it, figure it out, and then we'll come back for review. Let's workshop this. Someone else is asking me to write copy for something really fast. Someone else is like, how should we address this customer who's asking for the, like, it's like a constant sort of like teaching people how to find their own voice in their role and feel good in their role. So like, there's a lot of like, well, let's do this together the first time. And then you go do it the second time check in with me, we review it, you're good. Third time, you're just off and running. Like, there's a lot of that kind of, and I really, I really love that. I love just watching people expand themselves and grow into like new roles and be, whether it's like a roaster who puts two and two together and realizes that the roast changes they made with the profile actually showed up in the cup. And then like their eyes light up and they're like, I can taste the thing Trish you said would happen if I did this with the flame. Like, I'm like, yeah, that's going to happen if you do that. And and then he's like, I fucking tasted that. And I'm like, good. You made that connection. Like it could be that it could be like, it's a ton of different things. Getting to kind of help develop people in their different areas. Yeah. It's fun. It's pretty fun. It's the most fun, I think. Um, So, Obviously, you being a cafe owner, especially over the last several years, has been pretty strange and kind of new territory. What is what has been the most challenging part of your job recently and just like over time since you've started Wrecking Ball? 
I mean, challenges are, yeah, every day, of course. There have been really tough times the last couple of years, really tough times. Uh, we had a big store that we put a lot of effort and to make it amazing and beautiful in Berkeley. We opened this big cafe and it was like kind of what we really wanted to see happen out there. And, and we had to close it. And that was just like all the work we put into that. And that's the story of small business across the board, whether you're an ice cream shop or you, you know, decided to do silk screening tote bags and it didn't really pan out or you tried you know, to create something, uh, soaps or whatever anyone's trying to make, like you're just doing your best to see if it is going to work. And the pandemic just completely obliterated so much business that you thought you could count on, you know? And so your projections are out the window. Any planning that you would base anything on is gone. And yeah, so now I'm in my most challenging stage now. I, I hope that the stage I'm in at this moment in time, 2022, if this is not my most challenging year in my entire life, I am fucking gonna hit the roof because this is like all I can take. Like you have no idea. This year, I'm not kidding. If you only knew. I feel like a superhero every day that I'm still standing. It's never ending. So. Mark my words, listeners, <laughs> wrecking ball <laughs> is, uh, is fighting. We're fighting. We're out here fighting. It's amazing. Yeah. I think that's, I think both the, like the part you love the most that you just talked about and the challenging part is so important for people to know because it requires so much of you. And I think you know, I have always worked with um, a, a roasting company and there's been some level of dealing with wholesale customers. And I'm sure you've probably encountered this as well. It's like somebody's retiring and they're like, I just want to open a coffee shop. Like it's going to be this really easy, relaxing thing. And mm -hmm. I don't think that those are the people who are going to be listening to this episode. It's, you know, geared towards people who are already in coffee, but it's not easy. There's nothing easy about it. There's nothing easy about the part that you said that you love about like, pouring all of the knowledge that you've built up over all the years into other people. And there's nothing easy about dealing with the challenges that come with business. And quite honestly, the challenges are different for everyone too. Like what you're talking about sounds like it's challenging for anyone, but some people might also hate doing all of the accounting that comes with business. And so there's just, there's a lot to take in to account when opening a business. And I just think it's so important yeah. that people hear what you're sharing. Yeah. And then there's a piece of you that like right now I have one cafe um, and then I have another cafe that's inside a tech company, which happens sometimes here in San Francisco, like mm -hmm. the GitHub, the GitHub offices has a, our cafe in it. And then we have a roastery with has offices. So um, it, it's uh, small, smaller than a, a lot, but then there's a the point where you get to a certain piece, there's there's almost like no such thing as a mom and pop anymore. It's an old, like a mom and mom or a pop and pop, like a, like a tiny little business. Doesn't just stay a business for 30 years like it used to be. When you get to the stage I'm in, you have a lot of pressure to grow because people are like, well, what is Wrecking Ball even doing with one cafe and one roastery? Like, what are you even doing? And you're like, I'm fighting, I'm trying to like not die, like there's that. And then there's the pandemic, there's that. But then also there's like, well, I see such and such company opening like two mill locations and they got, they, they like upgraded their roaster. And it's like the, that's the capitalist sensibility of like, you must be growing to be successful. Mm -hmm. yep. But then there's also with a stage I'm in where I have less than 20 employees and they kind of wonder like, well, is this what we do? We just do this because we just have this. So it's like this big. I don't have a lot of money to do things like full dental plan. Like we have full, um, med we have full medical insurance, but like the eye and the dental and all these other things that you could do if you had a bigger company, right? Mm -hmm. Or you could do um, all kinds of things for people if your company got bigger, right? There could be a better 
HR department, for example. Like I don't have an HR department. I also don't have like uh, the ability to like travel and buy whole containers of coffee, right? Like I'm buying how I've bought for years. I buy like off the shelf, also known as spot. Like I buy really good coffees because I know how to taste them, but I don't have like the whole thing of like, if I could buy a container of coffee because I have 20 stores or a huge business that I need like containers of this coffee, that's like, I'm really affecting change for those producers, right? I can like buy a whole, you know, community's worth of coffee and feel like I'm really doing something. As it is now, it's like, I have to hope that my coffee gets into a box that gets on the water soon enough. Like that's, so there is, there's pressure to grow because you have opportunity when you're growing. Does it mean that you are then jeopardizing your quality? This is the common theme. People worry they're gonna jeopardize quality if they have to grow. I don't know. So I have like the pressure of the idea, like do my employees want me to be bigger so that they can enjoy the good things about corporate life, meaning like all the, you know, the perks that I would be able to afford if I were bigger, because I can't afford things, perks for employees, or are they glad that we're small because then we're not corporate, hmm. right? Because I mean, Bron, when you've worked for small and for big, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you, you felt the difference between having like lots of perks, a big package as you sign on to that company, and then it does, then it just feels corporate. Yeah. And that's like, yeah, I signed on for that. That's what I know what it is. But then also when it's like a small company, they're like, oh, it's cute and small, but it's only ever going to be this. Like, I hope we get, yeah. I hope yeah. we get to have a nice uh, Christmas party. It might just be like kind of, <laughs> kind of a ragtag thing. <laughs> get a pizza you know? party every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be like that either. So I think people deserve the best, but it's like, uh, that's the that's the back and forth. That's where I am right now. It's like either I decide to grow and get really big and get a lot of other entities involved, and then I can say I have 20 shops and a gigantic new roastery and a training center, or do I get to just stay small and then like employees say it was nice knowing you, Trish, but I'm annoyed at having to work in this little goofy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. One yeah. or the other. There's I no in between. I think those are really great points to bring up too, as people think about whether or not like as a barista or a trainer or, you know, working for a business, if they want to move away to owning their own company, because if you do get all those other entities involved, do you also lose some control of your vision for what it was supposed to be in the beginning? And if, if so, then, you know, is it worth it to you to be able to provide those things for your employees? Um, or do you risk growing, on your own without those entities and not offering those benefits to your employees. I think that's what happens a lot is people see extra money coming in and they're like, oh great, I can open a second location and not, oh great, I can provide benefits for my employees. And I think mm -hmm. we're moving into an era where I think people are letting business owners get away with that less and less, which I think is incredible that people are standing up and saying, I deserve healthcare, um, I deserve, to get paid fairly, but it's also hard to make money as a business owner if you're putting all of that money into your employees. And I just think it's such an important thing to weigh. Well, here's the thing that no one really names uh, outright. And um, I accept that I live in the United States and I accept that I do things like I use the money that I make to get health insurance for my employees because mm -hmm. they deserve it. And how the hell else are they going to get it? Because in this country, it's connected to your employment. Yeah. So I see my friends who have coffee companies in like Amsterdam, Denmark, friggin', you know, Singapore. They have companies. And I think to myself, those guys don't have a line item in expenses for health insurance because the government pays for it. Yeah. And then the, the thing about, so like no one thinks about that for small business. Like they point, they'll point at me as they should. That's what I signed on for. They're going to point at me and say, Trish, you own this business. You owe us this, this, and this as employees. And I'm like, yeah, but really, if you lived in Denmark, 
that you would not have to worry about me doing anything for you because it's all set up for us there. You know, like I lived in Norway. I saw what I got for the taxes. They were pretty high taxes in Norway, but I saw saw, like everything taken care of. Yeah. Everything taken care of there. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing that working in California, especially in California, San Francisco is extremely high cost of living, and yet I need to make sure that I'm above minimum wage in San Francisco because the baristas deserve it. Um, I can't go as high as the the sky because I'm small business. So like all those pressures that are taken care of in other parts of the world, we don't have any of that stuff. So yeah, you can point at us and say, well, you signed on for this, Trish, you wanted to have a small business, but you have to realize half of my problems would be solved if we had universal health care, if the government took care of business owners during pandemics, mm-hmm. that would be great because the role, the, what they rolled out for us, only you had to fit in this weird little corner for it to work for you. Like the PPP loan thing. Um, you, you had to jump through a ton of hoops for that to work for you. In other countries, they're just like, oh yeah, we're just gonna make sure you don't go out of business by just throw, the government will just give you the money for all the money you're losing because everybody is sick. Like, and guess what? They're not having a downturn like we have. Right. You know, like America, everybody is worried about everything because we have, do not vote in our own self-interest. Yeah, very true. So it is really interesting, like how you mentioned, especially like seeing the coffee industry change over the past three decades. Like I remember when when I was coming up in coffee, it was still very much the beginning of the third wave. And there were a lot of baristas that had the dream of like owning their own coffee shop and wanting to do their own thing. What advice would you give someone now that was interested in opening up their own place? I think you should do it. I think that people should do it. If you have the energy (laughs) and you found a way to do it, you should do it. I had a roaster once who worked for us who she was always like, I can't wait to have my own spot, my own thing. And I'm like, oh yeah, what does that look like? I'm curious, like, how do you envision that going? And she's like, I'm only gonna roast enough coffee so that we run out by like three o'clock every day and I'm gonna love it. Like there's a place in Seattle called Salumi or we used to be there, I don't know if it's still there. Uh, I don't know, Bronwyn hasn't been in Seattle for a while, but like it, it was well known for like running out of salami at a certain time every day. So their sandwiches would like, They'd be done, like they'd just be like, we're done. And this roaster was like, yeah, I can't wait to be like so hot that I like run out of coffee by like 3 p.m. And like, there's no more coming and people just have to like not get coffee. And I'm like, okay, that's cool, I guess. You know, like yeah. have romantic visions of what their business will look like. And I think people should just do those things and find out what happens. If you go into it saying to yourself, I'm just going to open it and see what happens instead of I'm going to get in there and it's going to be like super fun and it's going to be all these things. Like if you have preconceived ideas of what it's going to be instead of being open to what the experience can teach you, that's why those are two totally different things, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so I would say, especially if you're a young person, you should just friggin' do it. You may crash and burn, but that's part of it because then you have learned how to crash and burn, Right. Right. And then you know what you can survive. And then you know, like, oh, I'm not going to do that again. So I'm going to open a different way next time. But at least you have done that. And to that's the other thing is like, not that you embrace failure, but you're like, failure is like relative. Failure is like, oh, I failed, but I learned like this whole list of things that if I had never opened, I would have never known. And that's really everything right there. I would say just do it. If someone wants to, Figured it. If you figured out how to open up, you should just open up, open, open a place. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> it's so easy to do it now because there are so many share roaster places where you can go 
and rose. There's places here in the Bay Area where you actually could show up and be like, I don't know how to roast anything. And there's somebody that will help you learn how to roast as you're roasting your own coffee. You just need your own labels and like you can have your own label like right away and then start doing web orders like right away. You could just do it. So just do what I say. Just do it. You should know why you, why you want to make roast coffee. Like, are you roasting coffee just because you're learning how to roast or are you, you know, are you, uh, you have something you want to put out there that you've not seen before. A lot of times people don't get that far with it. They're just like, it would be fun to do it, which I think, yeah, more power to you, to you, whatever way, just do it. I say that's the best advice. Simple to the point. Yeah. Just give it a try. Um, so our last question is any fun stories to share. Obviously you've got lots of coffee experience, but since we're kind of focusing on your career as a cafe owner. Is there anything? I personally prefer the hilarious stories. So if you have any good funny stories, we, uh, we love to hear them. I, you know, well, I have a cafe story about, and I'll bring him up again. I'm not obsessed with him. He's just my good friend, Jose. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's taught me so much. He's our lead barista. He's like the standard setter at the cafe. He's, He's the reason why the cafe is so good. It's because for years he's been training everyone. But, you know, he's he's kind of a nerd about coffee, but not so much. He's just more really suited to this work because of his ability to do customer service. So one time I was sitting at this little coffee bar that we have like three seats in the cafe. It's like this very tiny place. And the espresso machine's right there. And this lady came in, it was like, just Jose. And I'm sitting at the bar and maybe one other barista. And this lady comes in and she's like, oh my God. I can't believe how espresso is so expensive in California or in the United States. Like I just came back from Italy and in Italy, it only costs like 50 cents and blah, blah, blah. Or like she started going off and she said, and it's the best coffee in the world in Italy. You know, it's just the best. And she really was, you know, like not even a parody of herself. Like she didn't even catch on that. She was really like being terrible. And my blood is boiling, right? <laughs> no, I'm, the I'm dying. She doesn't know, you know, she doesn't know who I am. She just thinks I'm a lady sitting there. And Jose is just like, he's listening to her and he's helping her and he's making her coffee. And he's like, you know, letting her go off. And I'm just like, just about to say something. And then Jose just starts to engage her in this way where he's like, oh yeah, how is Italy? Oh yeah. Wow. That's cool. Oh, you don't say. Wow, man. That sounds great. And that he was just like, so nice to her. He was so nice to her. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) I'm actually supposed to be like hospitable. I'm supposed to listen to what people want to tell me about coffee. I'm supposed to be open to what they're saying. I'm supposed to not throw down with them at that moment that they're talking about. Like, And then... And he's done that more than a couple of times where he just like totally schooled me on customer service in a way like I would never have expected. Cause you know, I've been in the business for 20 something years longer than he has. And I think I know everything. And then he shows me exactly how to treat people. And I'm like, Oh man. Yeah. That's what I'm supposed to do. You know, that's a cafe story that I remember. And then the lady left. She was so happy to have paid however many dollars for her espresso. <laughs> and she loved the idea that she could hate the espresso that she just bought from me and that she could, she just loved nitpicking it and she loved being able to say how it was. It is good. And I'm like, okay, that's what we do. Yeah. I mean, she probably just wanted to tell somebody that she just got to travel to Europe. And Literally. that's how she started yeah. the conversation was <laughs> kind of being a jerk about it. But yeah, I mean, to be able to turn that around, that's really awesome. Yeah. That's yeah, for sure. I couldn't do it. I would be like you, like, well, actually. <laughs> and for Jose, has he seen her again? Like, have you? has she, like, come back? I don't know. I imagine she, I was so many years ago, but. Um, Maybe she finds a new coffee shop every yeah. week to tell her. To tell her, a t- her, her European vacation story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, that kind of thing of just like 
putting ourselves aside, coffee is such a personal thing for people and that could mean nothing to them and it could mean everything to them. And they use it as a symbol for something much more than it is. They use it as the scapegoat for health problems. You know, they use coffee as the reason for, you know, the reason why people are in poverty in the world is because of college. The reason for coffee is the reason for everything. Mm. Right. And it just makes the cafe such a hot point of whatever the heck, you know, like baristas have to deal with whatever is coming in the door. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It could be a lady who just got back from Europe. It could be like someone who's in the depths of despair, just came back from a funeral and they just want to like make it through the afternoon. So they need to pick me up. I remember when I was really, really young and one, uh, uh, like the first couple years I was a barista and this guy kept coming in and he would order six shots of espresso between six and eight shots of espresso every day, he would come in in the morning, like one big pot of espresso. Mm. And at one point I was like, yeah, I was young. And I don't know how young I was, maybe 22 or something. And I was like, listen, man, I don't know what's, what you're, what you're up to and stuff, but just so you know, like espresso is supposed to be like small little doses, you know, like the Italians like to drink it a little shot uh like several times a day not all at once because it can really make your heart jump like i'm just wondering because i had gotten to know him so i gave him a like little you know piece of what i was thinking about and he goes oh no 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 you don't understand it used to have i used to have to do like five lines of cocaine to wake up in the morning like you have no idea and i was like oh okay well okay like don't mind me i just was asking like <laughs> like i don't know what people why people are getting the coffees are getting what they've been through in life i don't know why they're miffed at me i don't know why they're happy with me yeah. you don't know why certain other customers fall in love with you and other ones hate your guts like you just have no idea everyone comes with whatever yeah. through those doors love it so our last part of this session is a teachable moment. So something to take away that's useful, something funny, something valuable to learn. It could be related to, to what you've been talking about or not at all. So we talked a lot about my career and, and we talked a lot about um, like specialty coffee slash third wave coffee and people's idealistic visions of what their career could be like in coffee. And I think that one of the tips that I like to give young people, you know, because I can't take like a million apprentices. Like I have people like, just take me as an apprentice. I want to learn from you. And I'm like, that's cool. But I'm just like this goofy little roastery and I have a lot to teach. But at the same time, it's like, one tip I give people is maybe you want to work for, you know, like, the coolest roastery like cat and cloud or something like that you want to work for like the best place that's known for like the most coolest whatever but there's no positions in that place because everyone works there that has a job mm -hmm. so i say to people don't overlook overlook the bigger mid-level specialty coffee companies the ones that do tons of business that have containers of coffee coming into their roastery instead of a small truck. They have a bank of giant roasters. They have a whole department where there's like four and five cuppers just like slurping all day long and a giant corporate office. They have a whole floor dedicated to their sustainability, like the huge companies. Don't overlook that as an experience on your way to your career, whatever it may be. It could be a gigantic corporate, slightly evil company, you know, that doesn't have the 95 point coffee right you will learn so much about coffee at those companies whole different kind of thing than you would learn from me yeah you know i am a tiny company i can't do a lot as i've said before but those giant companies you can learn so much about the uh the whole coffee trade the industry the way the whole literally the whole world works, how it, how it trades in coffee. Uh, you learn so much of those big companies. So don't put yourself, you know, go, go to 
Cat and Cloud, go to wherever for your little bag of coffee for the weekend, but then go to work at the giant place and learn a ton there. That's what I say. That is so important and so valuable. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Sweet. I don't know why I meant, I don't know why I mentioned Cat and Cloud. They're just like in the sort of in the Bay Area, like there's a <laughs> Bay Area. Yeah. You know? Hi Jared, hi Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you guys do a great know. job too. You're cool, guys. Remember me? I'm in San Francisco. Thank you so much, Trish. This has been so fun. It was Thanks great to hear so many off. good stories. Yeah, we loved it. <laughs> I got a million good stories. Just ask me, I'll tell you. You just only have to remind me if I told you already. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that one. Okay, okay. I won't kill you. Now I'm going to watch the Warriors beat them. Dallas's butt right now. Yes. I was say, we should let you go so you can uh, get the game on. Drifting up to my TV. <laughs> <laughs> it was good to see you, Bronwyn. It was so good to see you, Trish. I miss you. I miss you. I'm going to have to come up at some point. Um, yeah. Well, I am going to come up at some point because now I'm working with ground control. I have that ability. So yeah. every so often I am there. We will have to catch up. Okay. Yeah, don't be shy. I won't. It was great to meet you, Trish. I'm so glad we great got to chat. Yeah. Take care, you too. Bye. Bye. Thank you again to Trish for spending time with us and sharing some amazing insights into your goofy little coffee company. We hope you all find some great inspiration from Trish's experience and knowledge. We'll catch all of you on the next one. Talk to you later. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks to talk more coffee with you. In the meantime, continue to drink good coffee. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and keep up with us on Instagram at totallydissolvedpod. Send us questions or thoughts in the DMs or email us at totallydissolvedpod at gmail.com. Bye. Bye.